Welcome back to Do We Like Movies? What's up, everybody? Uh, I'm your host, Angel. I'm your other host. You're far more... I don't know. I lift more than you, host. <laughs> Avi. <laughs> um, and this week, we're going to be talking about uh, the 2009 movie Watchmen. Um, Watchmen. I've seen the movie and I've seen the director's cut, uh, but uh, for this episode, we're really only going to be talking about the theatrical release. Um... But, thankfully, my co-host has uh, read the graphic novel, knows it very well, and will be able to provide deeper insight on the differences between the movie and the book itself. So, those of you that love reading comics know that uh, Watchmen is pretty much a nerd bible. Um, That one, The Dark Knight Returns by Frank Miller, um, those comic books uh, revolutionized... The genre, uh, the superhero the superhero genre, it changed a lot of your conventional tropes. It changed a lot of how people write these characters. But before I get started with that, my initial experience with this mo- with this movie is I remember a friend of mine in high school told me, "Have you ever read the Watchmen?" This was maybe freshman year, right? And I was like, uh, "What the fuck is that?" And he tells me, "Dude, I think you would like it." So he lets me borrow his copy, and I was like, "Man." The, the, I don't know, the artwork looks hella old, I'm not a huge fan of it, and then I actually started reading it, and holy crap, the story blew me away. Like, to, to, to read a story where characters, like, superhero characters are flawed, uh, really, like, it was different for, for its time, especially for myself, who was barely getting into comic books at, at such a young age, I think it was like 14, um... So then I find out that the Watchmen movie's being made. It's in production. I was like, oh, crap! Ah! You know, I was freaking out a little bit. I was having a little nerd boner for it. So I remember it was... This movie came out in 2009. And I remember in, like, January or so, tickets were on sale. And I told my dad, Dad, I'm gonna buy his tickets to go to the movie! I'm like, you need to take me to this movie. Because by the time this movie came out, I was maybe 16. So technically, I still couldn't buy R-rated movie tickets by myself. So I told my dad we're going to go watch this movie. I'm like, don't ask me any questions about it. He goes, all right, fine, I don't care. So, you know, I I even pay for the tickets. I give him the cash. He buys it. We go. It was like on a Sunday matinee, right? So there's like nobody there. And we're there for like three hours. This is a long movie. (laughs) And mind you, I had read the comic at this point. I completely forgot about the sex scenes. <laughs> I completely forgot about the gratuitousness of blue penis in this movie. <laughs> so, uh, next thing I look over, I look at my conservative Mexican father watching the screen in horror as we, you know, giant blue dong is like, you know, front and center. But, you know, he's a trooper. He lets me watch the movie. He lets me freak out. We, we're on the way back to the car, right? And um, I was like, so what'd you think of the movie? Did it make sense to you? He goes, no, yeah, it made sense. I was like, okay. I'm like, I was like looking for somebody to talk to about it and explain it. I'm like, yeah, do you have any questions? Was there anything weird? And he tells me he, he really likes Rorschach. And then he goes, there was one thing about the movie that bothered me. And I was like, what bothered you about it? And I'm expecting it's going to be like me getting to flex my nerd muscles and talk about something. And he goes, the big blue guy, how come 
he didn't wear like he had a blue like a black thong why didn't he wear the thong for most of the movie and i was like what he goes yeah i don't want to see his dick for three hours (laughs) so that was my that was my experience that was my dad's experience with the movie but i remember as a kid i really was like oh god this movie's so good and now as an adult i'm like uh cool your horses this movie isn't nearly as good as you think it is the first time I had heard of this movie, uh, me and a bunch of my friends that I was working with at the time, uh, we went to watch The Dark Knight, which came out, you know, the July, the summer before this movie came out. Um, I wasn't familiar with Watchmen. I just saw that it was, you know, they showed the logo. It was Warner Brothers. It was DC Comics. You were all in. I was all in, especially since, you know, by this point, I had spent three years waiting for Dark Knight to come out um, after just, like, falling in love with Batman Begins, right? That's right. That was an 05. Um, so, you know, I was super excited uh, for this after because, um, you know, my coworker was telling me just how good the book was and broke down a lot of, uh, you know, the, the differences... Uh, the difference is that that uh, once he f- once he finally saw the movie, and I was really looking forward to seeing it myself, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, I, I told my then girlfriend, now wife, you know, oh, we're gonna go watch, we're gonna go watch Watchmen. I, the funny thing with this movie is that I actually had a lot of nice memories thinking about it <laughs> because it's like you know, uh, it reminded me of the time in my life that I was in when the mm-hmm. movie came out, so. Yeah, 2009 was a pretty good year for you, wasn't it? It was a lot of fun. I, I had, like, my my girlfriend and I, we had been dating for a year at that point. Um, mm. I had all my uh, friends that I worked with, like, who, you know, a few of them are still my friends to this day. Like, you know, we all used to hang out together all the time. Mm. You know, and now we're all, like, close to our 30s and... And we all have families and stuff, so we don't get to spend as much time around each other as we mm-hmm. did before. And a lot of us are like married and have different jobs and stuff, so it's just uh, it, it just reminded me of a time uh, when I was younger. So it's uh, you're old now, <laughs> and it'll happen to you, fellow listeners. <laughs> um, but yeah, I remember uh, the day after the movie premiered because I didn't watch it the night it premiered. I watched it the weekend mm-hmm. after, right? Like, uh, and then uh, my you know my buddy went Thursday night for the midnight release, mm-hmm. and uh, me and him ran into each other at work the next day, and uh, I told him, oh, I asked him, hey, how was Watchmen? And the first thing he told me, oh, it was fucking awesome. And then like he told me all the things he liked about it. And then he goes, just just be prepared to see Dr. Manhattan's wang the whole time. <laughs> Big blue wang. Yep. There was, and you know, it's funny, there was a lot of us that argued, like, or not argued, but we were very caught off guard with how much blue wang was in that movie. Again, I'd read the comic book. I, I, you know, I've read it a total, like, maybe four times. Like, I revisit it every once in a while. And it's like, you don't, it's such an afterthought. You're like, oh yeah, huh, penis. But then it's like when you're watching the movie and you see it flail around and... (laughs) I don't want this to be a podcast where we just talk about Dr. Manhattan's dick the entire time. It's gonna happen. I'm gonna (laughs) talk about Dr. Manhattan's dick. It's like a very necessary plot device. (laughs) Um, Um, Yeah, it's, it's... This novel, the graphic novel, I think, 
from what I knew about it, it reminded me most of a comic that I was familiar with at this time, uh, which was Dark Knight Returns, right? Yes, yes. And, of course, it comes from the same era. It was a 1980s, uh, you know, graphic novel that kind of showed a dystopian future, but it still feels 80s, Yep. you know, and... um, and to me, I think one of the most impressive things when I look back on a movie like this is this is one of those films where you really just uh, wonder how it got greenlit and how it was made. Let me take it away from there, buddy. <laughs> so this movie, the way it worked, um, to truly understand how this movie got greenlit and how it got made and everything, we had to go all the way back to when... The Watchmen was first being put out as a monthly miniseries. So it's a 12-issue miniseries, ran from 84 to 85, I believe, if I remember my years correctly. But I think in 1986, well, it was uh, it was being written by Alan Moore, uh, who is like a magician, occultist, crazy old guy who as many people know nowadays is very bitter about with the with the industry that he made pretty much what it is today and dave gibbons who was his artist at the time so really good with the old timey what made this comic different from other comics was that they were doing nine panels page spreads which wasn't very common back in that day because i think it was still like considered a very what's it called old uh like un kind of like harkening back to like the silver age of comics so it was more a lot uh, an older style is my understanding of it i could be wrong you mean like more panels yeah like they were doing more panels for action well that makes sense i mean if you compare it to dark knight returns like dark knight returns had a million panels it had a lot of splash pages and yeah so there was a lot of things going on as opposed to um the watchman which was very traditional very boxy right Two producers by the name of Lawrence... In 1986, producers Lawrence Gordon and Joel Silver, uh, they actually got the rights uh, for the to film The Watchmen um, for, through, uh, I think, 20th Century Fox. So, uh, if you know anything about Alan Moore, he, he hates comic books being turned into movies. And he didn't want any of his works... To have any of his name if they were going to be turned into a movie. He right. didn't want any... I mean, and if you watch the opening credits, like, he is not in the opening credits. Oh, no. They complete... Like, he is... T- and he asked, like, specifically... He told the producers... He told Silver that, yeah. to take his name off. Because he didn't want to be a part of it. To him, if you wanted to turn comic books into movies, you're killing what makes a comic book story a comic book story. If you wanted to turn a comic book story into a movie, then write... A movie instead of writing a comic because his belief was that you can only tell certain stories through comics and what he was afraid is that if you gear comic books towards turning them into movies you're gonna create an industry that on- that will only instead of being uh measured based on their merit and the content of the story they're gonna be measured how successful they are on whether you can film this into a movie and in a self-fulfilling prophecy, we see the advent of Marvel Studios and how now Marvel Comics is catering to our more mainstream audience and gearing their stories toward your movie watchers. Because 
movies are selling the comics because now your mainstream people who never seen or never read a comic book are more interested in reading. Well, also that, and then and a studio like Marvel is now owned by Disney, right? Yeah, I mean, of course. So, the- so, so they are they're part of the machine mm-hmm. that just churns out you know content and you know uh, collectibles. So this movie passed through a couple studio hands, which I believe include. Let me see. It includes Revolution Studios, Paramount Pictures. Oh, wow. oh, I'm sorry. It originally was a turnaround project that went to uh, Warner Brothers. Uh-huh. Warner Brothers couldn't. Uh, originally, they needed a hundred million dollars to be able to film this movie in the '90s. Weren't able to secure that. Only he got 25 mil. So the film rights were sold out to Universal Studios back in 2001. Originally, David Hayter was supposed to write and direct it. Uh, but he ended up leaving uh, Universal for some differences, which was then given to Revolution Studios, to Paramount Pictures in 2004, where Paramount was actually trying to get... Uh, some of the directors considered were Michael Bay and Darren Aronofsky. Okay. So already <laughs> there's two very different directors. Yeah. So they try. They were trying really hard to get all the all these people back, right? Or trying to get like some really weird directors uh, attached to the project. None of it stuck. Uh, in 2005, the project goes to Warner Brothers, and originally Tim Burton showed in like a lot of interest in the project. However, Silver and Gordon, I think it was Gordon? Yes. Silver and Gordon really liked um, Zack Snyder's movie 300. Based on another Frank Miller project of the same name. Which if which 300, I'm not... I don't love the movie, mm-hmm. but I love the visuals of it. Yes. And that's why. They yeah. figured that because of the visuals and what he was able to do with that with that film, he was able gonna he was able to bring a that feel to the Watchmen. So eventually the project got greenlit, fully funded, Zack Snyder became our director. Um and yeah, so you know the thing this is a very Zack Snydery movie. A lot of Zack Snyder hallmarks, um, you know, with the slow-mo scenes, the gritty graininess of it, it looks really dirty, dark, not, I mean, dark in tone, but also dark in that I can't see half the action most of the time. (laughs) Yeah, I would say dark, um, and... Just dark lighting. And also, you know, Zack Snyder more recently tried launching the the DC Extended Universe, right? Which, Mm -hmm. you know, was a failure... Mm-hmm. commercially um i actually like the movies i don't think they're great you know like i mean i don't i'm not i'm not here to defend <laughs> Zack snyder mm-hmm. against like you know nerds that hate him and stuff like that for ruining batman versus superman but mm-hmm. i also have do have to say that i do like batman versus superman that is a movie i like especially the ultimate cut um yeah the visually it is very similar to this um and also i i think there's just no way for me not to think about the comparisons between this and Dark Knight mm-hmm. because it was coming out the year right after. Yep. Um, I but- think that part of the part of what helped make it, uh, you know, what it was when it came out was that there was a growing appetite for for comic book movies, right? Because mm-hmm. two thousand eight was Iron Man, and that's when Marvel Studios really started kicking off. Yep. Um, in terms of their projects. Uh, which, 
I think a lot of people forget that Iron Man, I think, was a Paramount movie as well. Like, yeah, like it Marvel was. wasn't even a full studio yet. So, mm-hmm. so I'm sure that it is no surprise that that Iron Man comes out in 08 and then in 09, like Paramount and Warner Brothers together releases, mm-hmm. which won't happen anymore, right? Oh, like, hell like, like no. now, now we're at a point with superhero movies as properties where they're not going to share distribution rights with other studios anymore. No, Except, no, not at all. Well, actually, you know what? I, I say that, but then now we're looking at the Spider-Man franchise, which is being like... Oh, uh, with Sony, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, you know. But, but also, it, it's, the, it's still rare, right? At the same time, Sony won't put any live action Spider-Man movies out. Yeah. That's why they're making an entire Spider-Man list Spider-Man universe, which is another podcast that, I <laughs> that we can go down that rabbit hole later. Right. Um but you know, uh right away watching this movie, uh it opens in a really intriguing way, right? Um yes. it starts with our main character, you know, the comedian mm-hmm. who, you know, it's... played by Jeffrey Dean Morgan who some people might remember from Supernatural, but I think many, many more people remember as Negan from The Walking Dead. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I personally like him. He's a great actor. Oh, he's awesome. Mm-hmm. He's awesome. And I think one of the biggest disappointments that I have is that we won't be able to see him as a Flashpoint Batman. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, because mm-hmm. they're not, they've canceled that movie completely. And, oh, God, I'm and, so furious. And then Batman v Superman, he was playing, he was going to play Bruce Wayne's father, so... Um, you know, there, there's, there is that part of it, but yeah, it starts with him, you know, with someone coming to assassinate him. Mm-hmm. Um, and right when that happens, uh, you know, it's when we see the button for the first time, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which the iconic famous button that was everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. The one with the little smiley face with the spatter of blood on it. Yep. And, um, which became iconic imagery for the comic. Um, so... A little bit, a little bit of backstory just kind of set the world, um, set up the world. So this is so the Watchmen takes place in an alternate reality of Earth, where the timeline kind of diverges in 1939, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, but the idea is that um, criminals were using masks to cover themselves up from uh, to, to so that people wouldn't be able to remember or wouldn't be able to recognize them during heists mm-hmm. so a bunch of off-duty police officers start dressing up in these like gaudy get-ups and dressing up like superheroes and putting on big goofy masks so that they're like oh well time to fight fire with fire eventually the eventually the the general population the your you know the people um, start looking up to them as role models, as icons, so they become these larger-than-life characters. So uh, it's it, it's funny because they don't use the they try not to use the term um, superhero, but they like to use costumed adventurer because in this universe nobody has superpowers, right? So, which I don't know if you've seen it yet. Uh, before we really get jump into it, but. HBO is now have the rights to Watchmen, and they are developing a limited television series that's going to yes. be coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, for those of you who are not familiar with HBO's programming, it is fucking fire, mm-hmm. right? Like, there's just there's no better prestige television is just the world that I'm so happy that I get to live in right now. Yeah. 
Uh, because shows like Game of Thrones, which is very popular now and everybody talks about it. But I know that a couple years ago, there was the Twin Peaks uh, revival, mm-hmm. uh, The Return, which I fucking loved on Showtime. Yeah. Um, and what I've seen so far about Watchmen. So it's funny that you mention the police officers in, you know, in masks and costumes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Because have you seen the first picture from uh, Watchmen on HBO? No, not yet. So it, in- it has these like... The police officer vigilante types, and uh, I lost we'll, pro- we'll and we're definitely gonna post oh, uh, this po- visual I'm, picture. Yeah. I'm posting it. I'm posting it on the Instagram. Um, okay, for, it, that's cool. It looks really cool. It's like these police officers that are wearing all black, covering their faces. Mm-hmm. They're wearing these black police hats, and they have these like yellow rags around their yeah. mouth, so they look like either revolutionaries or like. Gestapo soldier type <laughs> deals like it's it's there's something there's a lot of intrigue in it and uh they included like a, a brief clip of um of these guys in in one of their sizzle reels uh for their year mm-hmm. which was lumped together with all these other HBO series mm-hmm. so I'm very much looking forward to that part of it but continue sorry <laughs> it's all right so uh, so yeah, that's the origin of superheroes in this world. Eventually, these superheroes gain enough popularity that they start going overseas and they're fighting. Uh, they're fighting in wars and they're fighting in the Second World War. But yeah, a lot of these characters have very goofy, old timey names. Like there's Night Owl, there's um, uh, Silk Spectre, there's Hooded Justice, Captain Metropolis. All very like old timey, Golden Age era sounding names. Um, and they were known as the Minutemen. Yeah. So these heroes eventually, as the times change, haha, leading into the opening credits, the opening credits, which is a, so after they assassinate, um, you know, the comedian, we jump into the opening credits, which no matter what you think of the rest of this movie, I think the opening credits for Watchmen are the best that I've ever seen in any movie ever. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't think it gets any better. It's a like six minute long credit sequence that breaks down to you everything that's happened. They play the entire Bob Dylan song, The Times Are A-Changing. And it is so well done because they play very well known historical events but with a twist. You know, like there's the like there's that scene where I forgot what her name is. I think Madam Silhouette, not even Madam. <laughs> there's that part where they you know they recreate that famous picture of the sailor coming back um, on Victory Day, and he just gra- he grabs a nurse and kisses her, right? Which is a uncomfortable photo when you think in, about it. <laughs> in retrospect, yes. <laughs> like what we know you, now, right? Because for those of you who don't know, that famous picture, that nurse did not want to be kissed by that sailor. No, she did not. <laughs> so if we're looking at any of this with modern eyes, we're like. Yeah, that's not cool no more. In but however, I did. I don't know if it's true. It might be fake news, but I do remember seeing something that he had apologized to her at some point. And oh. you know, uh, the sixty years after that picture was taken. But yeah, there's like there's this part where the where the silhouette, this female superhero, recreates that picture by grabbing the nurse. And later, that nurse becomes her partner. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's her romantic partner for pretty much the next, what, like 40 years or something like that. You know, like, we get to see the the Kennedy assassination, which 
was actually carried out by the comedian. The comedian in this in this universe, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that I really, you know, that I really do like about this and and it's really interesting is it goes over like Watchmen spans two di- two different generations. Yes, of superheroes, right? Because one the comedian is in both of these mm-hmm. groups. Uh, he is with the Minutemen, which are in the 1940s, because that's how it's listed in in the photograph that they all yes, take together. that's right. Um, it's his, you know, uh, 1940 Minutemen. And, uh, you know, and one of the things I like about the aesthetic of the movie is it does feel very 40s Art Deco, like yes. the Batman animated yes. series. Um, and then the second generation is the Watchmen, which are more of the Vietnam era uh, mm-hmm. kind, you know, variety of hero. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and uh, I guess there is, you know, there well, is Vietnam something... Vietnam into the Cold War... Right, yeah. right. There, like, there is something that changes between the '40s and then this other generation of heroes because there is a section of it where you're watching a hero get uh, dragged in by two white coats into mm-hmm. an ambulance. Right, Mothman. He ends up he he ends up having a mental break. Dollar Bill is killed after his cape gets caught yeah. in a rotating door. Um, Silhouette and her partner are killed. Um, are murdered for being lesbians and in their blood written lesbian whores over their bodies. Um, but eventually you see Dr. Manhattan, which out of context, if you have no idea who he is, you just see a big blue guy on the moon meeting, um, not Buzz Aldrin. Was it Buzz Aldrin? It could be Neil, because Neil, Neil, is, there Neil we Armstrong is the famous one, right? So I think it was Neil Neil Armstrong. But, you know, it, you have Mr. Manhattan meeting uh, Neil Armstrong on the moon. He's meeting Kennedy on the front lawn of the White House. Mm-hmm. Um, he, and then you see, like, other recreation of historical events, like the shooting at Kent State. Yes, um, we do. And uh, then it, like... Cuts to uh, Gorbachev and and, and Fidel Castro, Fidel Castro yeah. <laughs> with like airplanes <laughs> flying over them, and, yeah. and and so it paints this story that and we have like Nixon, like who's got like four terms as president now. Yeah, and at some point you see riots, implying that with, with there you see a lot of signs that say "cops not capes." So at some point, public opinion is swayed where we no longer, in this universe, we no longer trust the superheroes that are supposed to be watching over us. And you see a lot of graffiti, and this comes back a lot in this film, is who the phrase, who watches the Watchmen. Yeah. So, the after the opening credits, best opening credits I've seen for a movie... Um, we go, we, we get our, one of our main characters, the vigilante Rorschach. Uh, right off the bat, Rorschach has, you can, you can tell something's not right. He has the gravelly Batman voice from the 2008 Dark Knight, which, uh, I'm so done with this trope of having, of, you know, your gritty hero having the gravelly voice. Yeah. It's one of those things where it's like, thank God, like now they've figured out. Hey, we can just put a voice modulator in their mask, and now we can just deepen their voice instead of having like Christian Bale lose his voice mm-hmm. or like auto tune him to fucking hell to where he just like sounds like a parody of himself. 
But I guess the idea is that you can't, you know, it's the 80s, he's a low-budget hero, he can't do that. Right, he's not, Um, Rorschach is not Bruce Wayne, he doesn't need to do this. So right off the bat, I think it's really important to talk about, um, the origin of the Watchmen as a comic was originally that Alan Moore, when he was writing for DC, said, hey, you guys just bought the this other comic line that included Blue Beetle, uh, Question, Captain Adam, a bunch of these like C-list heroes. I'm going to write a story. Here's what I want to do. DC execs said, we like your story, but we don't want you to do this story because if people die in your story, we can't do anything with those properties later. So create characters based on these heroes and then you can use that into a story. So a lot of these heroes are based off um, the you know these other characters that they acquired from I forgot which comic line. But Rorschach is if you're really big into DC comics, you know who the question is. He is a um, inspir- He's inspired by the Steve Ditko character, the question. Wears a trench coat, fedora, and he wears this uh, mask that has like ink blots on it. And one of the coolest effects they do in this movie is that how the ink blots move around. And the idea is that whoever sees it is going to see something different. Right. Which is neat because the HBO series, like they have they have released a, uh, one of their sizzle reel trailer included mm-hmm. Rorschach, but that's not there anymore. Aww. And now and now they've cut eye holes in it, so now that you see it live, so it, it's a different look that we're going to be seeing. So I agree, this is an awesome effect for yeah. this movie. And I'm glad they went with this. So he is a right-wing conspiracy theorist, borderline, like, sociopath, where he believes that only he can save New York and only he can figure out what is wrong with the world. So he finds out about the murder of the comedian, so he's the first one on site, um... at the the murder... at at his, uh, scene of the murder, right? Um, he later finds out that the comedians actually still was employed. Well, I think at this point it was actually, um, knowledge that the comedian was, uh, still working with the United States government that he, so, and he starts, uh, creating this theory that someone's actually out to kill all the old members of the Watchmen. Mm-hmm. So the first member of the Watchmen that we are introduced to is Dan Drayberg, who's played by Patrick Wilson. Yep. So Patrick Wilson would be considered this version, or this world's version of Batman, kind of? Kind of. Um, I mean, he's... Sorry. Uh-huh. I mean, he is, like, in terms of the costume... Yeah, costume. When I saw the trailer during Dark Knight, I uh-huh. was like, oh, look, it's like Batman, right? Like, he, he, <laughs> and... Know. And if you watch Justice League, mm-hmm. like there is an outfit that Ben Affleck wears as Batman that has the same fucking goggles as yep. Night Owl, like straight up, right? Easily, yep. So, uh, but in terms of like personality, I think Rorschach is also very much Batman. It's almost like they're both, like I feel like they're both kind of Batman. <laughs> so I know for sure <laughs> they're uh, we're all Batman. <laughs> But Daniel Daniel Drayberg, sorry, Night Owl is very much uh, inspired, also inspired by um, by uh, Blue Beetle. Mm. And then when you look, like when you see his ship, it looks very much like the the Blue Bug, which is the ship that Blue Beetle flies in the comics. You know, he has the gadgets, he has like the 
I think they recreate that character of the mentee mentor because he's actually, you know, he, there's an earlier scene where he's hanging out with the old, original uh, Night Owl, who was a retired uh, New York detective and retired superhero named Hollis Mason, who was the original Night Owl. Um, fun fact, I don't know if you caught that, but in the title uh, or in the opening sequence, um, there's this part where Night Owl was punching out a guy with a machine gun and uh, a criminal with like a mask and stuff. And you see a couple and a kid in the background. Oh yeah, I know about this. It's, yeah, it's it's bat. It's uh, Bruce Wayne and his parents. Right? It's implied that that's yeah. Bruce Wayne and his parents. So therefore, Bruce Wayne never had to become Batman in this mm -hmm. in this universe. So Daniel Draper adopts the name of uh, of Night Owl, and he out of everybody in this movie or in this film in this story. Night Owl is the only person that has a good relationship with Rorschach to the point that they actually teamed up earlier, not, you know, under undisclosed time, but they, they actually partnered up to tackle gang problems in New York. So it's, it's interesting that Rorschach is the, or I'm sorry, Night Owl is the first person that Rorschach goes to visit um could be some sentimentality could be that you know this is his friend his old partner so it's can i just say it's gross that he's eating a can of beans while he goes to see him a can of beans that are cold that's even he worse. just opened it and was like yeah <laughs> <laughs> he just walked in and then sees like his mask like lifted up with this guy eating a can of beans in his house it's my really favorite gross. part in that scene is where he pick where uh, Night Owl, or I'm sorry, Draper picks up the, the 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 button and he goes, "What's this? Bean juice?" <laughs> and then Rochette goes, "Human bean juice." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, from the conversations that they have with each other, you understand that they are, you know, probably two of the closer members of the team. And to exp to dis uh, explain their relationship, imagine you're really good friends with somebody. And then over the years, you both go through some shit and you just kind of like, you know, you, you drift apart. And then when you come back, it's like you're still friends. But even though both of you have changed, you both get on each other's nerves, but you're still each other's friends. So you're going to put up with one another. <gasps> I'm not talking about you, dumbass. <laughs> I'm making a podcast with you. Why would I be talking about you? <laughs> But, you know, like, that's the vibe they get, is that they're old friends who get on each other's nerves, but still care about each other, you right. know? So, this takes us to Rorschach going to talk to the Superman himself in this universe. Um, he has this really cool line where he says, I have to tell the man that cannot be killed that someone is trying to murder him. Uh, he goes to meet Dr. Manhattan. So which they call this out, right? Like they, they during during the section where they're going back and they're showing his origin story, they say we've found the Superman and yes. he's American. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and Doctor Manhattan, uh, you know, his origin story is classic golden age superhero comic. Mm -hmm. You know, he's a scientist. 
he is caught in a machine that is supposed to kill him, but instead of killing him, it turns him into a superhero. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, and I love that DC does this, like, because I don't feel like any of the characters in Marvel ever have to do, and that's not a knock on Marvel, it's just, it's always something that's specific to DC, with maybe the exception of Thor from Marvel, mm-hmm. but all the characters in DC that are super-powered heroes almost have to deal with it's like they deal with having to be gods mm-hmm. and like they, you know, like part of their angst and their struggle is like, you know, is is being these omnipotent like characters, right? Mm-hmm. So he very much feels like the meta human, the new god, mm-hmm. like in this universe. And because that's the thing, uh, Manhattan has the power to do anything. He can manipulate all matter. He can see... Into his own past and future at the same time. He can, he's immortal. He knows everything. He is, for all intents and purposes, a god that walks among us. And, you know, like, like you were saying, talking on that, he, he, his problem, his main character arc in this film is that he can't bring himself to give a holy flying shit about humanity. And he, how can he relate to somebody or, you know, our day-to-day struggles when our existence, our lifetime is only like a small blip seeing as how he's going to be here forever, you know? It's the difference between, it's the difference between him and Superman in DC. Mm-hmm. And also, I think one of the things with the character like Superman, that they kind of try to... I guess play around with a little bit is that you know Superman has Lois Lane mm-hmm. and Lois is kind of like his link to the you know to, to the earth that's why he cares but Clark Kent also has a wife I mean a wife he has a mother and a father on earth yeah that you know that, that he loves and cares about and and Dr. Manhattan doesn't have any of that right like uh you go back in time to a time before he you know, became who he is, mm-hmm. and there is a woman who was once the great love of his life, and he had a best friend, and, you know, uh... No, you know what, let's talk, let, let's focus on Dr. Manhattan right now. I want to, I want to delve into his story, into his arc, because it's a pretty important part in the story, but I feel like the way this, the, the movie's paced, um, it tries to follow the comics too much, Yeah, and it intersperses this story at a weird time. Right. So, and, well, and I'll say this. I'll say this too. Like, I mean, if you're someone like me who didn't read the comics before you're going in to watch this movie, mm-hmm. this movie is dense. Yes. Like it is so dense that you're gonna watch it the first time and you're not really gonna understand everything that it's trying to tell you. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like I still learn new things when I watch this movie today. Mm-hmm. Well, like I was telling you, this is a twelve issue miniseries. It's a twelve issue miniseries. That is packed into two a two hour and forty five minute movie. Mm-hmm. Originally, this movie, if Zack Snyder got his way and the director's cut was or the ultimate cut was the movie we got in 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 theaters on release, it would be a fucking four hour movie. And th- that is my biggest knock with this movie is how it tries to pack too much content in such a short amount of time. Um, sorry, I didn't mean to lie. <laughs> Which isn't that short, right? Like, yeah. the movie runtime is two hours and 40 minutes for the theatrical cut. Yeah. That's a long fucking time for this movie. Um, 
But, you know, I think at least what they did well was that they covered Manhattan's origin. So, like you were saying, the woman he fell in love with was originally Janie. And be, after his accident and he becomes his godlike character, he no longer really cares about her. Yeah. Like, he, he keeps her around, but he... And he and he says it at one point in the movie where he starts realizing she's aging. Every day he sees her older and older, and every day he notices the wrinkles and that she can't do the stuff she used to do. Which, if which if he had his own movie, it would be one of those things that would be awesome to explore, right? Mm -hmm. Like to me, like one of my favorite movies of the last fifteen years is let let the right one in yeah which is you know the vampire uh, it's a vampire movie uh god is, is it from sweden i think i think it's swedish yeah, yeah it's like a swedish vampire movie uh where the main character is this girl who you know kind of strikes up a relationship and friendship with a young boy who mm -hmm. gets bullied a lot in school and stuff like that it's a foreign movie uh it's not in english um, mm -hmm. even though there was an english remake by matt reeves mm -hmm. which is really good and people who may recognize the name matt reeves because he's got that batman movie that like will never ever come out that i feel like <laughs> keeps getting delayed every six months yeah but kind of the purpose of that movie is just like you know is learning the tragedy of how you can never love a vampire because no matter what happens like they're going to be immortal and they're mm -hmm. going to live forever and unless you're going to become a vampire with them, mm -hmm. you know, it's not, you're eventually going to pass on and they're eventually going to move on to someone else. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the things where, yeah, like if, if this was just a movie about him and Jeannie, like, like, or Janie, sorry, like it would be, it, it, like they could go into some real depth with some of this stuff. And to a certain extent, they, they don't give it the depth it's worth, but then after he joins... When Dr. Manhattan joins the, the Watchmen, he meets the second Silk Spectre, yeah. uh, Laurie Jupiter, uh, who's played by Malik Ackerman, I think her name is. But she's supposed to be the daughter of uh, the original Silk Spectre, who was mm -hmm. on the Minutemen. Who's played by Carly Gugino. Yes, who's played by Carly Gugino. So at this time, she's like supposed to be 17, 18. At this point... Mm. John Osterman, who's Dr. Manhattan, yeah. is supposed to be, like, 50, Ugh. 40 or 50, like, late 40s, early 50s, okay. and he develops this relationship, and he has these feelings with, um, he, he has these feelings for, uh, Lori, even though she's, like, jailbait, and I think that's the term Janie uses, she's right, like, you're they chasing call it jailbait, out. yeah. yeah. She calls him out for being a piece of shit. And he even says, yes, I don't love you anymore. Like, he says, like, when she, like, she she's crying because she feels that he doesn't care about her. And then he says, I, I, I will always love you. And then he says, I lied to myself knowing that in the future I will fall for someone else. Right. And, and what's weird about that, too, and, like, is... He he says that he doesn't care about her, and I guess maybe he doesn't. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that he does, because his entire origin story comes out while he's doing an interview, yeah, like he's yeah. doing a, a televised interview, yeah. And what as he's getting dressed for this interview, 
um, he one of the things that he puts into his jacket pocket is a mm-hmm. picture of him and her. Yes, from when he was a human being, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's that he misses her or if it's just that he misses being a human and mm-hmm. misses what his old life was like. I mean, and they do mention that that the only picture that they have left after his accident is the one of him and Janie. Right. So you're right. That adds to that thing, right? Um, that you don't know if he misses being a human or if he misses her. Um, but you know, like here's the thing, in this in this film or in this comic, even nobody's a perfect person. No, by far, everyone has something not. about them that makes them a piece of shit. Yeah, the only <laughs> one who comes off like a Boy Scout in the movie, at least, is Night Owl. Yeah, and even then, like he's he struggles with impotency. Not not just like yeah, <laughs> not not just in the sense that his dick don't work, but also in that he feels like less of a man. Mm-hmm. Uh, unless he's doing superhero shit. Yeah. Rorschach is a sociopath. Um, you can't even say to a certain extent uh, Dr. Manhattan is, but he uses people and he doesn't care about humanity. And Adrian Veidt, Osmandius, the other, the last member of the um, of the Watchmen that we are introduced to, he actually is like he he has like the savior complex and he's mm-hmm. he's he's regarded as the strongest or I'm sorry the smartest man on the earth so everyone is flawed in some way you know um and that's one one of the refreshing things about this as a comic story um as a comic book story as a film i mean we see flawed characters all the time but at the time that this comic book came out you always saw superheroes as you know the the paragon the the example they were perfect in every single way and they overcome everything exactly and then the watchman decides to flip that on its head and these guys are not perfect in any way shape or form to the point where you know going back to dr manhattan i feel like he's using these women and he says it himself he is he says that you know these women whether it's janie or whether it's silk specter He's using them because they're his only connection to humanity. So, like I said, he's kind of a piece of shit. And that's the thing, is that Lori kind of goes along with it because she says it herself, the only people she knows are superheroes. So it's like, there's no real chance for her to have a, a normal life. Um, That takes us into the, into the uh, interview that you were talking about. Where so the interview is a really interesting scene because it, it it has like a couple things going on at once. Um, after Doctor Manhattan goes to this interview, he or at, right before he goes to the interview, he tells Lori that she's going to go look for Night Owl because he can comfort her in a way that Doctor Manhattan can't. And she's like, fuck you. And she goes and does it. So mm-hmm. she goes, so she ends up with Night Owl and they start developing this relationship throughout the film. Um, meanwhile, Dr. Manhattan's given this I- interview where people are asking him, people, the press are asking him, Hey, you know, why, you know, what do you think is going to happen? The, the U S is, you know, four minutes away from midnight on the doomsday clock, which is a big recurring theme in this right film. the backdrop of the movie is as all of this stuff is going on the united states and the soviet union are inching closer and closer to nuclear war we are in this film we are four minutes away from nuclear annihilation 
in real life, right now in 2019, we are two minutes away from midnight oh, yeah. on the doomsday clock. You know, <laughs> it, it's, it was directly, and you know, you for whoever doesn't want to hear it, too damn bad. Like, But a lot of it had to do with the election of Donald Trump. Yeah. The election of Donald Trump has moved the doomsday clock to two minutes to midnight. So I never thought I would live in a world where our timeline is worse than The Watchmen <laughs> or then The Dark Knight Returns, but apparently that's what happened. Yeah, I mean, between that and then, like, the dystopia that they show you in Handmaid's Tale, mm -hmm. these are dark times we're living in, my friend. <laughs> this is the darkest timeline? <laughs> so, during this interview, people, um, I think it's Ted Koppel, yeah. I think it's supposed to be it Ted Koppel, right? Mm -hmm. Ted Koppel blindsides Dr. Manhattan by asking him about all these people he has worked with at some point in his life as either as John Osterman or as Dr. Manhattan who developed cancer. And Dr. Manhattan tells him, so are you saying that you're inferring that it was me, right? And he says, well, I don't know. Let's ask Janie. So Janie comes from through the audience and has this very tearful moment where she gets to kind of like lash out at Dr. Manhattan, revealing that she actually did develop cancer as well. So as she runs away, Dr. Manhattan gets bum rushed by all the reporters trying to, trying to get a, get something from him trying to get a rise trying to get a statement or something right and in the entire movie this is the only time we see any sort of emotion from this guy he screams leave me alone and ends up teleporting everyone and himself away mm -hmm. he teleports the entire room somewhere don't know where but he isolates himself and teleports himself to mars where he's the only living thing and he creates this palace of glass where he just sits and stares off into the distance, and he just kind of, like, fucks off for a couple days. Well, yeah, because, I mean, there's one thing that we never really think about, but I think I've had conversations with my mom about it, and this gets really existential, and, like, you know, I don't want to get too deep into it. Yeah. But, um, but you know, we don't understand things as human beings that gods would, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, every every sense of understanding that we have on the world that we live in comes from the perspective of human beings mm -hmm. so we don't understand time the way that a god would mm -hmm. and that is what dr manhattan is essentially in this universe right he is and they say it several times i think someone actually redacts the line where you said well like you said earlier where someone called him superman and he they redact the line and say no I did not say the Superman is real and he's American. I said God is real and is American. Mm -hmm. So you can't possibly fathom what goes through the mind of a God the, the same way a God cannot comprehend the little day-to-day -day struggle of a human. Right, like and, it, and 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 I don't want to like, and I don't want to completely ignore the other characters in this story as well because, like, the, one of the things that Doctor Manhattan does is he actually does bidding for the United States government mm -hmm. after he becomes you know the superhero that the quote unquote superhero that he is. Right, they show uh, they show them 
sending him over to Vietnam. Yes, I'm where glad you he that. is like just murdering like giant swaths of the population with like you know the flick of his wrist, right? He turns himself into a giant and just crushes people without even a second thought, literally walking through humans. As if they were ants. And in this universe, like, the United States wins the Vietnam War because of it, right? Yep. Like, he, then he goes and he sees a comedian in a bar after, and the comedian kind of makes that, I guess, joke where he says, could you imagine if we would have lost this war? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and talks about what the world would have been like. And, uh, you know, th- that's the joke for the audience, right? Yeah. Like, is that we live in a very different world from what we're being shown. And that's the joke of the comedian, too, is that he understands that... And I think Rorschach says that at some point, is that the comedian's seen, like, the dark side of humans and decided to be a parody of it. So, he's kind of... I mean, the comedian's a sociopath in his own right. Right. Because not only does he murder John F. Kennedy, Mm -hmm. uh, but he also killed a lot of people in Vietnam. uh, Not to mention... As a government agent... And as one of the Minutemen, he actually rapes, uh, you know, Lori's mother. Attempts. Attempts to Attempts rape Attempts to rape yeah. her mother. And yeah, this is, we glossed over the funeral scene because we had to kind of get all the Dr. Manhattan shit. Again, we're tr- you're putting 12 comics books <laughs> worth of story into one movie. It's fucking damn near impossible. And then we're trying to put a fucking two and a half hour movie into Nearly like an hour three and a half. hour movie. Yeah, <laughs> into, we're gonna try our best to do it in an hour and a half podcast, but holy shit, it's almost an hour. <laughs> but there, one of my favorite parts, and I hate saying favorite because I didn't like what happened, but it's important for the story to tell you one who the comedian is, and two who Doctor Manhattan is. Is that there's this scene, the same scene you're talking about, that scene in the bar in Denang, where where the comedian is approached by this Vietnamese woman who he pretty much had a child with. Um, the woman's pregnant, very visibly pregnant, maybe eight months, nine months, ready to pop soon. And she says, Mr. Eddie, you said we were going to talk about this child. And he tells her that I'm going, I'm leaving, I'm going back to America and I'm going to forget about you and your stupid fucking country. And then she says, you're going to remember me, you're going to remember my country, you're going to remember my people. She breaks a a beer bottle and slashes at uh, the comedian's face. So Mm -hmm. he gets that cool scar he has the rest of the movie. So the comedian loses his shit pulls out his gun and has a moment of hesitation right before not even a moment of hesitation really he tries to shoot her or i mean he ends up shooting the woman with dr manhattan barely even trying to stop her Mm -hmm. the only thing he says is eddie don't and then she he and then he shoots the woman and then Dr. Manhattan tries to talk to him about it and says, you shot her in cold blood. Mm -hmm. To which the comedian replies, you could have turned the bottle into bullet... Or what he said, you could have taken the gun from my hand, you could have turned the bottle into bubbles, or um, the bullet into mercury. But he's like, you didn't, did you? 
and he says, you really don't give a shit about us humans, do you? And just leaves Dr. Manhattan there to contemplate how he feels about humanity. Mm -hmm. You know, and, you know, of course, like, you have a scene where... Like, despite the fact that he dies in the very beginning of this movie, mm -hmm. he is one of the most important characters in the movie itself. Oh, yeah, he's a huge influential character. Like, And, and, and because they keep going back in flashbacks, you kind of get a semblance of who the guy is. And I know the comic probably goes into it a lot deeper, but mm -hmm. you do get a semblance of who he is from the flashbacks that you're getting. Because mm -hmm. then the other flashbacks that show the riots yeah. back in the United States, right? Where he takes way too much enjoyment in shooting his own people. Which, you know, it's... The music in the movie is... <laughs> you know, it, it, it's because they use popular music, mm -hmm. It and it is very Tarantino and kind of Scorsese in some way. Yeah. Um, in that way, like, it's... Um, I, I, every time I hear... I'm your boogeyman by Casey Boogie and the Sunshine. Uh, yeah, every time I hear Casey and the Sunshine band, like that song, like uh, I always think of this scene from Watchmen. Now. Yep. And the, you know, there's the yeah that scene where he disperses a crowd very violently to the you know to the complete horror of the night owl. Yeah. There during his um, during his scene with. Uh, during his funeral scene, you see uh, Adrian Vate, Ozymandias, remember the time when they first formed uh, the Watchmen, and uh, Ozymandias trying to convince them of the importance of working together as a team, and the comedian telling them that he'd done it before wasn't his style, and that, you know, everyone just wants to watch the world burn, mm -hmm. and ends up setting fire to a map telling... Ozymandias that he's pretty much an idiot to go fuck himself. Which is very... The comedian... Very it, much, yeah. It's very Joker yes. as well, right? Yes. Like he's, it, he's like a weird mix between the Punisher and Joker. You know? Like, he's very... Like, the chaos, but... He still justifies his own actions in a certain way. Um, but there's one... You know, one, one scene in particular. A very uncomfortable scene... Um, was the attempted rape of the original Silk Spectre. Um, where the Minutemen, this was a time, you know, again, going back to the 40s, a very innocent time, mm -hmm. uh, where the Minutemen are celebrating, working together, and Silk Spectre says, I gotta go change. This is Lori's mom. Uh, I have to go change... Uh, Eddie Blake ends up walking in on her, and the and Eddie Blake, the comedian, uh, the comedian starts talking talking to her, coming on to her. She says no, and they have that really uh, cringy exchange where he says no is spelled Y E S, and I'm like, oh my god, that is it's very uncomfortable to watch. So he ends up making an advance, an advance. Um, Silk Spectre tries to fight him off, and he ends up beating her, and then mid-act, mid-attempting, uh, you know, sexual assault, uh, the Hooded Justice ends up finding, uh, the comedian and ends up beating the shit out of him, mm -hmm. saving Silk Spectre. Uh, eventually, 
uh, that's when the comedian ends up getting kicked out of the Minutemen and joining uh, the military, and he becomes a uh, agent for the United States. So he is in no way, shape, or form a good person. No. And he is not a good character. <laughs> but he is the catalyst of this movie. In that sense, he is very important. Mm-hmm. So we fast forward all the way back to our after the uh, after the interview. That's where we left off. Um, so we get to our boy Rorschach. Whoop, bam, 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 bam. Well, technically Moloch. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you can tell fatigue is starting to set in, right? <laughs> so we we talk about Moloch, who I think he's like Moloch the magician or mm-hmm. Moloch the whatever whatever fucking old timey super villain name you can think of. But he's a guy that has fought Manhattan, and he's a guy that's fought Rorschach and the rest of the Watchmen several times in the past, right? Mm-hmm. So, he is tied to this conspiracy, or at least that's what Rorschach thinks. Rorschach, try, he, he ends up uh, trying to interrogate Malik and tries to find out what his connection is to the entire uh into to the entire conspiracy so Mm. he visits him twice first time he visits him is right after the comedian's death where moloch reveals that the comedian was actually actually broke into his house drunk crying admitting that there is a list of people and he saw moloch's name he saw Janie's name he saw a bunch of people that dr manhattan had once worked with their names on this list Mm-hmm. And then he mentions the things that he'd done in the past, whether it was back in Vietnam, whether it was the assassinations he's carried out, or just the terrible things. Mm-hmm. He said it will it pales in comparison to what he has planned. And then he tells Moloch that he's the closest thing to a best friend he's ever had, which is really fucked up, seeing as how that's one of his villains. So, later on, Rorschach visits Moloch again after Dr. Manhattan disappears. Mm-hmm. So after Dr. Manhattan goes to to Mars, he visits him again and finds that someone has killed Moloch. Mm-hmm. Bullet to the head. Worse yet, someone called the cops. And we get this really cool Zack Snydery fight scene in the apartment building. So, I don't know how you feel about the action scenes in 300 and in this movie, but me personally, like, the slow motion gimmick loses its luster very quickly. I I don't, like, the action is so unmemorable that even having seen the movie today before we recorded, I couldn't tell you anything about any specific action scene. Mm-hmm. It's just, which is weird, because it's like, you know, the, 300, the stuff in 300 is pretty decent. I've seen Sucker Punch from Zack Snyder, which is pretty good. That was a Zack Snyder movie? What? And I also, like, to this day, one of my favorite Batman fight scenes on screen is actually the fight scene where he's uh, saving Martha Kent in in Batman v Superman, right? Like, it, is it is really good. Like, it's something that's almost straight out of the Arkham video games. It's very Dark Knight Returns. Right, Very exactly. Dark Knight Returns, yeah. And that's why, I don't know, like, we were talking earlier about how this movie is very proto-Batman versus Superman. Yep. And I feel like that's what this 
fight scene was too. Very prototype to that fight scene in uh, in the warehouse with uh, Batman and Luthor's goons. But I'm I don't know I, I I'm not a huge fan in, of the slow motion gimmick that no, Zack Snyder. No, I mean doing. I do like I do like the using the. What is, what, what is in that can? This is like an aerosol can. Or oh what? yeah, that and yeah. and you know that speaks to that speaks to Rorschach. Is Rorschach is very much like a gorilla style fighter. Mm-hmm. He uses what he has around him, but he turns an aerosol can into a flamethrower, and he straight murders that cop. Right. Like, right. And they're also looking for him. Like they call him out specifically by name, so it's clear mm-hmm. that he's the one that's been set up here. Yeah. Um, and this is where he gets arrested, right? So he has that cool line where he's like, ready when you are, or was it? He's like, ready, um, here we come, hero, I hope you're ready, and then Rorschach goes, when you are. I'm like, he has a lot, he has a lot of those cool little, little retorts. Which to me, that, that is like, that's actually a line from, um, that's actually a line from, uh, Science of the Lambs. Really? I mean, I mean that's the first time I've heard that line before, right? It's where Hannibal is like beating up the the, the security guards and is mm-hmm. about to escape and he grabs the nightstick from the other dead cop and then he goes to the one that's like crawling that's trying to crawl out of the room and he goes he goes uh ready when you are, uh you know, officer or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I mean, yeah, we're both talking about sociopathic killers. <laughs> so, Rorschach um, has that scene where the cops jump him and they rip his mask off. And they reveal Jackie O'Healy. But, you know, there's something very interesting where he, does, he doesn't call his... He doesn't call his, his mask a mask. He calls it my face and he's not screaming. Mm -hmm. He starts screaming, give me back my face. Right. And then later we learn why he feels that way. Um, in the prison scene, which the prison, I I felt, I really liked the, the Rorschach in the prison. Uh, that part of the story was, well, that, and because one of the lines from the prison scene (laughs) has now been, has now been, uh, re, inserted into the uh, political zeitgeist. <laughs> yeah, so one of the one of the most famous lines from The Watchmen, which I felt they recreated it perfectly in the in the film, was when some when some prisoners try to kill Rorschach, he fights him off and ends up throwing a hot like hot vat of grease on this guy yeah like from a deep fryer yeah from like a deep fryer it was like boiling hot so this guy's face is like melting and as he's screaming he doesn't yell it which i felt was really cool that he doesn't scream it right because i always remember like the way i remember it is him yelling it yeah but that's not how it is that's not how it is at least when we watched it today he says you got it all wrong i'm not in here with you you're locked in here with me. And it's such a cool, crazy, creepy line, you know? He f- flipping completely where, you know, Rorschach has put a lot of these guys in this prison. And, and never at any point is he ever scared. Or never at any point do you fear for his life. You know, it... it, it you know, we also get those scenes with his therapist where we see his his origin where 
his mother was a prostitute and he was abused by her as well as a lot of the Johns she would see. Um, as a result, he was bullied a lot as a kid, but he always had that like internalized rage, right? But what, where Rorschach really turned the really turned the corner and became a killer and became Rorschach was he was working a case where he there was a child murderer who fed the girl to her dogs, right? And it, you know, that's when you see something snap in Rorschach. And Rorschach refuses... After that, no longer goes by his uh, secret identity name. And he even says it is that that's the day Walter Kovacs died and mm -hmm. the day Rorschach was born. He's like, that was my first kill. And that was the time I knew I couldn't go back. And Rorschach, it's funny, he really rails into like progressives and liberals throughout the film because like we mentioned before he is right wing to the max to the point of conspiracy theorists which is funny because more recently you know the line the prison line uh that he gives after he throws the guy you know the deep fry in the guy's face uh is the you know, Democratic House Representative Alexander Ocasio-Cortez, I ended up using the, you know, you guys aren't here with me, I, you know, I'm not here with you, you guys are in here with me, Yeah. lying directly from there, so that's, it's a nice, funny irony, I guess. So, it's like, the best way to describe Rorschach is Alex Jones, if... <laughs> <laughs> no. He was a vigilante. <laughs> because now that you say that, all I can picture are like the, those remix YouTube videos. Like, he's like chasing after people on the streets of music. <laughs> but it's true though. Come here, come here, come here, come here. They're turning the freaking frogs game. <laughs> Oh, but no, I mean, I, I see, I see where you're coming from. It's yeah. Just hilarious. <laughs> like that, like if I had to put any more of a like present day spit on it, it would have to be, that's the only thing I can compare him to, you know? <laughs> um, like he honestly, the, the thing about Rorschach that's really important is that he's a man that does not, he's a, he's a man that lives by his convictions and he will never compromise. And if he was a person like, and, and I mentioned to, to you earlier, like when I was in high school, I was like, oh shit, Rorschach is a really cool character. He's edgy. He's dark. He was my favorite character and I really liked him. And then I got old <laughs> and I became an adult and I started learning just kind of like how the world works. And I was like, no. Rorschach isn't someone to look up to. Rorschach isn't a hero, you know? He's a vigilante, and he happens to do the bad things, but for the right reasons. He's very much ends justify the means to a certain extent. But, you know, he's... Uh, if Rorschach were in the real world... He would be your lone wolf mass killing kind of guy. Yeah. 
He—he's—I mean—he's not—he's not a hero, right? Not at all. He is no. an extremist in every sense of the word. You know. Yeah. He is in and. You know, like, and again, we're not trying to turn this into, like, a political podcast or anything. But, you know, it's really interesting how Alan Moore wrote this character, you know? Especially now that we're talking about this now in this time, right? So, <laughs> sorry, I started thinking about Alex Jones again. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> moving on from Rorschach, we, I would... <laughs> I would go back into uh, you know Night Owl uh, okay. and Silk Spectre Two, right? So Patrick, yeah. So Silk Spectre Two, Electric Boogaloo, and uh, and Night Owl. Sorry, we we may have taken a break to laugh about Alex Jones for five minutes. <laughs> we may or may not have looked up more Alex Jones videos. Which, if you guys can and you need a laugh, please YouTube those. They're pretty hilarious. <laughs> Oh, God. So, the Night Owl arc. The Night Owl arc in this movie, it's all about... So, Night Owl, to me, is a dad that had to compromise his dreams for his family. because, Or, you know, to be a provider or something mm. like that. Even though he has no family. You know, like, D Daniel Drayberg is very much a bachelor, right? Right. And he's just perfectly fine being a retired superhero, living the rest of his life. Um... But he's oh he always lacks that he always lacks that thing to make his life special worth living right and you can tell he's a guy that's living a life of quiet desperation when he gave up being a Kate mm -hmm. and you see that manifest itself rather physically. <laughs> So the yeah. Silk Spectres start spending time with him. They start hanging out. They start developing feelings for one another. And um, one night, uh, he takes her down to the owl cave. <laughs> yeah. Is that what you call it? Sure. No, owl, I don't know. The owl's nest? What the fuck do owls live in? Yeah, let's call it the owl's nest. Why not? Ew, that, that, that's so lame. You shouldn't have come up with it. <laughs> fuck off. <laughs> it's your own fault. So he takes her down there. She she mentions something about oh when she put, wears his goggles, she says this must be how John sees the world. And then he he totally has one of those oh no you didn't talk about your other dude. Yeah. So his, his feelings looked extra hurt. He was super in his feelings after that. So she tries to tell him that Silk Spectre says something to the effect that he sees everything but me. But you do. So she comes on to him. And they're they're ready to do the nasty. But... Night little Night Owl can't report for duty? Yeah, he can't get an erection. Yeah, oh yeah, go ahead. If you want to get all scientific about it. <laughs> so he starts... Well, it's, it's funny that you mentioned, like, you know, how he has, like... This fear of impotence, like like like, there's this impotence that he has, which is not just physical but also mental, mm -hmm. and it just manifests itself so perfectly in this movie. Because I mean, to me, having not read the comic before I saw the movie for the first time, I didn't understand what the point of this was, mm -hmm. right? And it's one of those scenes where it's like, again, this movie 
it's so much like the comic, it doesn't fully explain things. So if yeah. you don't understand the comic, you're just like, wow, they could have cut this because this really doesn't you're, make this any sense. This is awkward as shit. Yeah. yeah. So it's... You're like, I just saw someone have ED. <laughs> yeah. But there's a reason why he has ED. It's ED with a purpose. And it's because he's impotent not only as a superhero, he feels impotent as a man. If it's can't. super ED. It's super. <laughs> Put a cape on it. It's super ED. <laughs> so he ends up. Him and Silk Spectre end up um, suiting up one night after he he has this weird dream of like explosions and him and Silk Spectre making exploding out. naked on Mars. Yeah, exploding yeah. naked on Mars, and then they put their costumes on, and then there's a lot of there's a lot of Patrick Wilson ass in this movie. Like I feel like we've been talking a lot about Doctor Manhattan's big old penis, but we're missing Patrick, Patrick. Wilson is thick. <laughs> He's got a big ass. Can we put that on his shirt? Patrick <laughs> Wilson is thick. T H I C C. He is hell. Yeah, he got a donk, dude. <laughs> and he's sitting there with his dad bod and all at like three in the morning and is just staring at the night owl costume. And, you know, he wants to put it on and he wants to go back out on patrol. And finally, him being with Silk Spectre. Gave him that added confidence. And mm-hmm. she helps him. She's like, let's go and do it. She's like, I, you know, she has that line. I'm used to going out at 3 a.m. and doing something stupid. And I was like, that's a pretty cool line, you know. And they go out and they do it. And there's a there's a uh, an apartment on fire. And they go out there and they, say, and they save everyone in the apartment. And they're able to celebrate this with some good old-fashioned uh, boning. Right. Because, okay... Again, so this movie does a movie plot device that tells you uh, uh, that tells you right away from the beginning that it takes place in an alternate universe, which I don't know if you've ever heard of that the Zeppelin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like the Zeppelin idea, any the concept that, that anytime you see a Zeppelin in a movie, you know you're in an alternate reality, mm. and that's kind of like immediately it, right? So there's Zeppelins that are in the air, um, and also this giant flying owl contraption called Archimedes that like mm-hmm. you know that is in the air it's where they're both having sex because ob- doing- <laughs> like he is literally horny for fighting crime yep like that's that's what he needed and got his dick working again and he's like yeah, let's do this yeah so and he takes her down to the bone zone and they do the sex to each other and he makes <laughs> <laughs> he makes goo in her warm. <laughs> <laughs> but after one, you know, once this part is over, that's when they start piecing together a lot of what's been happening, right? Mm-hmm. Where they, you know, talk about how, you know, somebody has to be setting all of this up because, you know, it's not possible. Like, you know, if how is it that everyone who's come in contact with Doctor Manhattan has cancer? Except for Lori. Except for Lori. Yeah. And um, they also talk about, you know, the other strange occurrences that happen. um, And it it arrives at them wanting to break Rorschach out of jail. Wait, before we skip from this scene, just want to make a couple observations. One, in traditional dude fashion, Night Owl is able to think clearly after he busts one. 
and two, they picked the worst possible version of Hallelujah to accompany the most awkward <laughs> sex scene in movie history. Well, yeah, I mean, it's funny that he's playing like a middle-aged man because Patrick Wilson is not that old when he's when they're shooting this movie, mm-hmm. but he's able to capture the awkward sex of what I'm sure a middle-aged man. Is. I'm not in middle age yet. <laughs> But I'm pretty sure that that is what middle-aged sex will look like. Oh, God! That's your future! (laughs) But, yeah, he's, you know, I love Patrick Wilson. He's a great actor, and I think he's able to... And we talked about it during that... Well, during any scene with him and Silk Spectre. He's just... He has this ability to really make it seem like he has, like, a genuine spark with somebody. Right, and and we kind of discussed it when we were watching the movie, because we saw it together, uh, that... You know, besides Watchmen, the other series where he is closely tied to a partner, to a female partner, is uh, The Conjuring, right? Yeah. Where he and Vera Farmiga play Ed and Lorraine Warren, the demonologist. And even though Ed and Lorraine Warren were garbage people in real life who actually ruined lives. Yep, um, look it up. And covered up sexual abuse as well, right? Like, um, at least in The Conjuring movies... Uh, they're looked at as very benevolent characters, and really all of that is due to the performance of Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga. But, yeah, so yeah, Patrick Wilson just has a very there's despite the fact that he is a bachelor, there is something very paternal and mm-hmm. nurturing about him. <laughs> he has a certain charisma where you're just like, damn, like I can't help but like him. And yeah. I I felt like to this day, from of all the movie castings, including Marvel movies and DC movies. I think number one will always be Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man. And number two, which is a close fucking second to me, will always be Patrick Wilson as Night Owl. I think that both of those guys really encapsulate what these characters are about. And, you know, like, you, you and he gets all the, all the range of emotion out of this guy as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just wanted to throw that Despite out Despite the fact that, you know, as a character, he's kind of underserved underserved right oh totally and that's the thing too with uh, with ozymandias right like um is that he is an important character but because the actor i don't know there's just something that's missing wasn't feeling him right it's just like it doesn't feel as important and it feels like at the end of the movie they have to explain to you why he's important yeah so um so they go and they take they break warshak out um and you know, from there, really, you know, going into the ending, if we want to start getting into it now, um, the biggest departure between the novel and the and the film is the ending. Very much so. So, in the comic book, the the end comes when, or the the main the main plot device that goes on is that and that you know the. The reveal at the end is that Adrian Veidt, Ozymandias, was the mastermind behind everything. That he, as the smartest man in the world, found out that we, or realized as close as the United States and Russia were to killing themselves, they were going to kill the entirety of the world. I think Russia had something like 500,000 nuclear warheads stockpiled, and... Dr. Manhattan was a walking nuclear deterrent for the United States. So the idea was that, and I think Osmandia says it at some point in the movie, is that even if he blocks 99% of those warheads, there is still enough nuclear payload to destroy the entire world. Mm -hmm. So mutually assured destruction. 
So Ozymandias believes that if he can create a, if he can create a, uh, a unified front, if he can create a, if he can create a villain that both sides can settle their differences and fight against, mm-hmm. he can save the world. So in the movie, he creates this machine that later sets off blasts all over the world and ends up destroying, I think, like, parts of Moscow, uh, New York, L.A., Hong Kong. Um, And this machine leaves off an energy signature that's very similar to that of Dr. Manhattan's. So in the movie, Osmandia sets up Dr. Manhattan. Mm -hmm. In the comic book, originally... um, Ozymandias is actually uh, working with geneticists to create a uh, monster, like some sort of interdimensional creature. And that's actually where he gets that stupid looking Liger thing with the long rabbit ears. Mm -hmm. That was a result of the splicing um, in the comic books. They don't talk about it in the movie because they went with a whole different route. So, Ozymandias drops this monster in the middle of uh, New York. Mm. And it's like a psychic nuclear bomb. So, instead of destroying New York, what it does is it lets out this, like, psychic attack energy. And it dies. And it ends up killing almost everyone in Times Square. Wow. And the creature dies. And that's where the the infamous vagina monster comes from. Because the monster has a mouth and it looks like a big old vagina, like, tentacle creature. And instead of, you know, Dr. Manhattan, he unites, uh, you know, Ozymandias unites him against this monster. And everything Ozymandias did to isolate Manhattan was to keep him out of the equation so that way he wouldn't interfere. As opposed to... The movie where he ends up turning Dr. Manhattan into the villain. Um, personally, at first, I was... I don't know. I was really mad about this. And then I was okay with it because it actually kind of made sense, the film. But then the purist in me really wanted the comic book ending. Just because I wanted to see what the monster would look like. I've flip-flopped over the years over which ending I preferred. And it's weird because I like them both, you know? I like both endings. Um, But, I mean, the purist in me and the comic book fan in me has to go with the comic book ending being better, you know? Uh, I feel like it it wrapped things up a little bit neater than than in the movie. So, the film presents the biggest dilemma here. Is that you have Rorschach, Silk Spectre, Night Owl, Ozymandias, and Dr. Manhattan. These five heroes know why all these people died. And what do you do from here? So, do you tell, do you reveal the truth to the world? And have everything go back to where it is? Or do you keep quiet? Do you keep your secret? And... You know, continue living life knowing this, right? So it's it's not a good dilemma. It, I, I felt like that was... It's a very dark ending for a comic book. Well, and, it's a also, very, 
And also, if we're thinking about the year that it came out, it is very similar to the ending in Dark Knight. Yes. Which is what impressed me the most about Dark Knight was the fact that Chris Nolan, like, dared to create a scenario in it where, you know, the main characters are compromised Mm -hmm. to, you know, to having, you know, one of them has to be a hero. And it may not be the one who actually was the hero, but we have to do it this way so that mm-hmm. we can achieve the victory that we're looking for. And then the Watchmen decided that they couldn't. They couldn't do that. They couldn't get the victory they needed. And it had, you know, it had that. It had the balls to do that you didn't win ending. It's the ultimate you didn't win ending. Because your heroes don't, pull off the victory you know they don't beat the big bad they don't get to save the world and actually and i think osmandia said it best your biggest was it your biggest contribution to history is your failure to prevent the savior of the world and i was like holy shit that's such a crazy thing to admit like and, and Osmandius is not your traditional comic book villain. And a comic book villain at this time, a movie villain at this time, they monologue, they give out their entire evil plan in mm. laborious detail. But Osmandius, being the smartest man in the world, even says it. You can't stop what's already begun. Do you really think I would tell you my plan if you had any chance of stopping it? Mm-hmm. So he already sets everything in motion before Rorschach and Night Owl are there to even try to stop him. So, like I said earlier, going back to Rorschach, he's a man that doesn't compromise. He's a man of his convictions. He wants to tell the world. He feels the world deserves to know. And you have that confrontation between him and Dr. Manhattan. So you have Rorschach... Just a man in his word. A man in his, you know, to quote Tony Montana, a man in his balls. And then you have Dr. Manhattan, who is a literal god. And they have this very brief exchange of words. Where Rorschach says, oh, so suddenly you found your humanity and you care about us. And... Dr. Manhattan tells him he will not let him compromise this new world. Mm -hmm. So Rorschach tells him, then what are you waiting for? Do it. So right from the beginning, and Alan Moore actually wrote this when he was writing the fourth issue of Watchmen, the only logical ending he saw was for Rorschach to die. And that's exactly what happens. Manhattan kills Rorschach in front of Night Owl. Night Owl... Um, loses his shit and attacks Ozymandias. And then this leads us to the ending of the film. Ozymandias is left to kind of deal with what he said or with what he did. Um, I think it was Dr. Manhattan. Well, it was Dr. Manhattan. <laughs> but but uh, he says that he's going to go to another universe because our universe is too complicated. And that he wants to start over. Mm-hmm. So he flies away. And he finds life among the stars. And then that leaves Night Owl and Silk Spectre to kind of live their life together. Mm-hmm. So the ending of the film is these guys that work at a... I don't know what to call it. Like a tabloid? Like a right-wing tabloid? Mm-hmm. 
And because the USSR and the United States at this point have been able to settle their differences and become a united front against Dr. Manhattan and are preparing for when Dr. Manhattan were to ever return, uh, the guy, the editor even says, we have nothing to write about. It's like a big old hippie commune out there. <laughs> right. The world lives in utopia now. Exactly. Or at least they're working on it. So they end up going through this box of what they call crank mail. So it's whatever people just kind of drop off for them. And they end up finding Rorschach's journal. Right. Rorschach journal was Rorschach was able to write down everything from the beginning of the movie, uh, working the comedian's death all the way to right before they left for Antarctica to try to stop Ozymandias. And that's where the film ends. And that's where the comic book ends. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the biggest departures aside from, uh, aside from the monster at the end was in the comic book, they left Ozymandias wondering whether he did the right thing or not. Okay. And he even talks to Dr. Manhattan and says, um, something to the effect that is it worth it in the end? Or was it worth it to cause this end? And Dr. Manhattan tells him nothing ever truly ends. And that's why I mentioned to you earlier, I'm like, it's weird that they gave that line to Lori instead of giving it to Dr. Manhattan. Mm. Um, and another point I wanted to talk about was that scene on Mars. That scene on Mars that we skipped over where Silk Spectre is talking to Dr. Manhattan. Uh, where you find out that Lori is actually the daughter of the comedian and Silk Spectre. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy and it's it's insane to think about that Silk Spectre would try to come back to to the comedian after everything he put her through. But she loved him, she even though she had every reason to hate him, and they ended up having a child together. And that's when Dr. Manhattan has this epiphany that you know, he says that the 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 probability of you coming from the pairing between your mother and your father is the same probability or has the same probability of gold turning into oxygen or something like that mm. but he says somehow for every reason uh you know out of the millions of cells that could have possibly made it you were the person that I fell for, you were the person that was born from this pairing that should not have happened. And you were the person that brought me back to humanity. So we have this, this big, aww moment where you realize that, uh, Dr. Manhattan does actually care about humanity. And more importantly, it also helps her to reconcile with her mother in the end as well. That's the big part. That, that's the big part of that revelation. But I felt like it was such a cop-out. I felt like this was such a cop-out in the movie. In the movie and in the comic. For this... For, again, why would a god give a shit? But then again, who knows? Maybe it, it speaks to what you were saying earlier about... You know, no one can understand a god other than a god. You know? And also, maybe even the most perfect character is imperfect himself. Right? Mm-hmm. And I think and I think the, the Janie photograph like does that... At all, does that more than anything would like it shows mm-hmm. you that even though this guy is now no longer human and he is a god 
um, there is a part of him that still has some sort of emotional connection to his previous life. But he still ain't shit because he hits on underage girls. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I guess now that we've discussed this part of it, the only thing left to ask is, uh, do you like Watchmen? And when I say that, I mean, do you like the 2009 Zack Snyder film, Watchmen? It's so hard. <laughs> it's so hard. I've told you I had a love-hate relationship with this movie since I watched it. And it's like, I want to I want to like it, but all the, you know, there's a lot of things that bother me, especially now as an adult. Like, I like... I like that Zack Snyder was able to really capture the aesthetic of the of the of the comic book series. And he even used the comic book series as an initial storyboard to be able to create the movie. But he feels like he constricted himself too much by doing that and only stuck to what was in the pages of the book and wasn't able to elaborate things. Other than the creative uh you know, right, the the creative ending he decided to go with, he still tried to stay as true to the source material. And in that sense, this is a good movie. Like, it really follows that. But I, I, he also feels kind of suffocating. Like, even the way it's filmed. Like, everything's very closed in. It's Everything's indoors. Um... Which I guess the other option was he do nothing but green screen, so I guess I'm kind of okay with the way he filmed it. But I remember reading a review where someone said they felt claustrophobic because of the way it filmed, the, mm. the the way the film was, you know, filmed. And I think that it's a contrast compared to the last couple movies we watched, where like Halloween had those wide shots, mm-hmm. or half of Bird Box is outdoors, you know. Like, Watchmen takes place a lot in, like, cityscapes, but a lot of it takes place indoors, and I just feel like, you know, the movie doesn't open up. There's a certain aspect of the visual grammar of film that, I don't know, that doesn't really get captured well in terms of action films in Zack Snyder's movies, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, yeah, I think, I think... And that's the thing, it's like, it's like, if you're... Comparing him to a director like John Carpenter, Carpenter mm-hmm. is, he very much understands the grammar of film. Mm-hmm. And he, like, he looks at things in such a, like, like his vision is is in uh, these large, wide shots, right? Mm-hmm. So, it's, it's, it's different. And, and I think, I mean, if, if you're finished already giving your opinion oh, well, on it. I'm sorry, the other thing I was going to say is that... This movie is way too much content in for a movie. Yeah. 12 issues is about 200 and No, it might be more. It might be something like 400 pages. But 12 issues is a lot. You know, we're talking about a lot of content to get through yeah like the movie i mean it's pretty thick you know lots of things will get lost in in the so even if you make it as uh faithful to the source material as possible a lot of things are going to get lost in the adaptation exactly like the director's cut and we talked about the director's cut originally zach Snyder got his way was going to be four fucking hours 
And that one included the Black Freighter and the Hollis Mason subplot. Mm. Uh, which is Hollis Mason gets killed by some gang members. And then the Black Freighter is a comic book that a character within the uh, the Watchmen, not like one of the main characters, but like a side character, a kid is reading. Uh, but that one, is, it's, it contributes so much to the world building. But there's just so much shit going on in this comic that there's no way you can feel, fit it in, an, in a three-hour movie. Mm-hmm. And even I was very wary of that when I was a kid. And I wish... I, w- I wish that The Watchmen at first was a miniseries. I felt like it would have benefited a lot from being a miniseries, something concise, something easy to digest. So that's why I'm excited about the HBO miniseries. Right. The awesome part about this is that this is actually something that we are going to get to experience again for exactly. the first time. Once the series finally does premiere. So um, to answer your question, do I like this movie? Yes, I do like this movie. But I do not recommend it to casual fans. I do not recommend it to folks that really like Marvel movies. <laughs> I do I, even the fans of like Dark, the Dark Knight series, like mm-hmm. the Christopher Nolan Dark Knight movies. Like it feels like this when it comes to a niche genre. This is the most niche movie within that genre. So, as much as I like this movie, because I like the source material, um, and uh, this movie is, trust me, not without its faults, I, I, I can't bring myself to bring it up in casual conversation. Um, yeah, I mean, if, if, if I'm to ask myself, do I like Watchmen? Um, I do like it, and I agree. I don't know if I could recommend it to someone else. Um, so if you're listening to the show and you have not seen the movie yet and you're listening to the episode to try to figure out whether or not you should watch the movie, I think if you're really that curious and if any of this sounds interesting enough, uh, you might want to go check it out. Yeah. Um, but I know it took me several times watching it to understand some of the plot points uh, because it is, again, so dense like this movie has a lot that it tries to cover in a short amount of time Mm -hmm. um and much like you said what's really special about this is that we're going to be able to see another adaptation of it and we're going to see another uh, creative entity come in and put their own spin on this source material Mm -hmm. um I think the I think this discussion makes me want to read the comic more than I ever had. Mm-hmm. And I also think that if you're talking about the themes of this movie, unfortunately, I think Dark Knight, which came out the year before this, uh, probably covered some of the important themes about heroism and, you know, and how the ending of that film compromises all of the characters. Like, there is... I feel like the themes that this movie tries to get across in a film format are more successfully brought across in that movie from Chris Nolan from the year before. True. Um, and again, it's like we, we are going to have an opportunity to see someone else try to adapt that in a much more, uh, in, in a format that's going to be more, um, conducive to this kind of material for our listeners. If you are interested to watching in watching the Watchmen, if you haven't watched it yet, um, I recommend watching the first maybe third of the movie up until the end of the comedian the comedian's funeral. If you can make it through the comedian's funeral and say, "Hey, that was interesting," 
then I recommend keep, keep watching it. Maybe it's like the first 30 minutes, 40 minutes. And if you don't like it after that, you're probably not going to like the rest. Mm. So, you know, be warned that, you know, it, it's a very dense, it's very difficult to get into. Um, but I mean, the acting I feel is, is a good upside too. like, like I'm, I'm, I'm a mark for Patrick Wilson. I think he's great. Jackie Earl Healy was great in this movie. Jeffrey Dean Morgan is, you know, he's my sweetheart. Mm. <laughs> so, I mean, but again, like I think you and I have talked about before how we would at, we would watch things just based on one actor because we like that person. Right. Uh one thing I did want to mention just kind of like a fun fact. So, in the in the comic book series, the the phrase that's repeated a lot is uh who watches the Watchmen? Or and I remember one of the flavor texts in some of the intro of um of some of the issues would have the same saying in Latin because it comes from a, po- a poet poem, right? Uh, do you remember the Justice League? Uh, I think it was the Bruce Tim series. Like it was the Justice League and mm-hmm. the Justice League the and cartoon, the yeah, the cartoon series, right? At the end of one of the seasons, I forgot if it was the end for Justice League, but or the end of maybe like season one of Justice League Unlimited. But Batman is trying to convince Green Arrow to join um, to join the Justice League. Mm-hmm. To and while Green Arrow is trying to walk away from a meeting, Batman says "quis custodia, quistos custodes," which is Latin for "who watches the Watchmen." Mm. Although they can't say that because I don't know if it's like a copyright thing. Batman roughly translates it to like "who guards the Guardians," right? And, but I mean, but they're all DC Comics characters, yeah. and also I know in DC proper the universe. Mm-hmm. There is crossover now between now, yeah. Watchmen and Batman. So that's canon now. Now, right? Well, no, Doomsday Doomsday Clock is the big series going on right now, where Doctor Manhattan bends reality so that it folds the Watchmen and the Justice League together. Mm-hmm. And the main arc of there is going back to what you said: these godlike characters having to understand existence for everybody else, with Superman and Doctor Manhattan. So, if you're a comic book fan, I hear good things. That's also another 12-part series. Don't tell Alan Moore about it, because I'm pretty sure he'd kick your ass. (laughs) But I'm hearing good things about it. Awesome. So, we'd like to thank everybody for joining us for this episode of the show. Um, If you have been listening to our shows and downloading them on iTunes, we'd like to thank you ahead of time for that. Uh, Please, 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 please continue to download our episodes Try to get the word out to other people that you know who may be interested in our show. Uh, make sure to leave us uh, ratings on iTunes, uh, Spotify, Podbean. Leave comments for us in your platform of choice. Google Play also. As well. And um, please engage with us on social media. And if you have other movies that you're interested in having us review, you know, please send them either in our DMs on our Instagram page or send them to uh, do we like movies pod at gmail.com, which is our podcast email account. Also remember, go Google Alex Jones videos. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> All right, so while we go watch more stupid ass Alex Jones videos, uh, please, <laughs> please, uh, thanks for joining us and uh, come back to join us next time for whichever movie we decide to review next, which we will post on the Instagram page for you. Yeah, so. most likely. All right, <laughs> my turns. <laughs>